Bible nearby. Let's go to let's go to the book of Second Corinthians. And for the next several weeks, that will be where we will go every time. Um, it's been a while since we just started at the beginning of a book and went through it. Felt like that's what our fall was supposed to look like together. Um, and tonight is gonna it's gonna be a little bit on the different side from what you're used to. Um, from this point on, in, anyway, um, this won't really be as much of like a typical like sermon type deal. Uh, as maybe as normal, we won't do any music at the end and stuff, and um, that'll be okay. Uh, so if you're here the first time, this is again. Last week was not really typical. This week's not really typical. Uh, normally we'll we'll go to the Bible and we'll start somewhere and we'll just go and just like drudge through it. Um, but this is going to be a lot more of, a, of an overview um, because I think in order to understand. Second uh, Corinthians, you have to understand First Corinthians, right? Probably. Um, in order to understand First Corinthians, you have to understand the real First Corinthians. <laughs> in order to understand Second Corinthians, you have to understand that Second Corinthians is actually Fourth Corinthians. First um, Corinthians is actually Second uh, Corinthians. And there's Third Corinthians that we don't know where it is. Uh, so, see, all those things are important for us to understand, right? Uh, so, so here's what we're going to do. I want, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so in those verses we know that this is Paul who's writing it, um, along with Timothy, um, and Timothy was uh, was like Paul had mentored him and discipled him, and and um, Paul would would send him as his like representative at different times and stuff, and they were uh, they were like partners in ministry. Um, so we know that much. So Paul wrote it, and we know that it's to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints in that whole region. Okay, so. This is a letter to a specific church. Um, the strange part comes in, in verse 2 when it says, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, um, that is, doesn't, that's really not that confusing at first. You're like, it's a nice way to open a letter. Uh, um, it is a nice way to open a letter. However, if, to know the, the history leading up until this point right here, um, will kind of make you appreciate Someone saying grace and peace to you, knowing the relationship and what all has been going on this whole time. Okay, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the Bible down. I'm gonna pick up my notes. <laughs> yeah, because um, because it's gonna it's gonna feel a little more luxury than you're used to. All right, but I wanna I wanna kind of paint a picture as best as best we can, as best I understand it. Um, you have to piece a lot of this stuff together from the Book of Acts and from First Corinthians and Second Corinthians and and you know. It's a lot of like grabbing some things, kind of piecing them together. Um, so why would I think it's strange? Not strange. Why why is it so um, admirable admirable for Paul to say grace and peace to you? Being this letter, okay. Here's here's where we'll, where we'll start. Corinth um, is just west of Athens. Okay, so it's in southern Greece. Um, Corinth is uh, like kind of on a like a peninsula between these two bodies of water. And so uh, you could either like sail all the way around Greece or you could try to like cross this peninsula. And so Corinth was kind of positioned in this really good place where um, ships would come from, say, the east and then they would um, either like load up all, all their cargo and like move it across the, the it's like, like four and a half miles, I think, move it across and then load onto another ship or um, the, actually someone like built this device where if a boat was small enough, you'd like put the boat on this big deal and they would just drag it four and a half miles to the other part of water and then put it in on the other side or whatever. Um, so here's Corinth and and basically like if you look at it on, on a map, I mean it's a long way to go around. So it was very appealing to try and find a way to like pull in this body of water and somehow like cross that four and a half miles, save you lots of time, lots of money, and whatever. 
And so Corinth was just incredibly wealthy because of where, where they were positioned. It's really old. Um, it was mentioned in Homer's Iliad, which puts it like 2000 BC uh, when it was in existence. So it's a super ancient city, lots of wealth, lots of, uh, yeah, lots of money. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, you know the uh, Pelop- Peloponnesian War? Anybody? Huh? Sparta? Athens? Uh, Corinth, um, they, uh, they aligned themselves with Athens in that war. And, uh, you know, they just, yeah, there you go. And so uh, then Alexander the Great uh, was a part of the history, and he really made Corinth kind of a big deal. Um, and then uh, down the road, Rome came in and like, just destroyed it in like 146 B.C. Uh, Rome comes in and just completely destroys the place and just sat there until, until Julius Caesar came in, and he recognized, hey, I can make some money off this. So he rebuilt the city and rebuilt the, the two ports and basically like started all this trade back up again and uh, kind of returned it to its greatness. And so um, it, had, it had been super wealthy and then it had been destroyed and then it had been rebuilt. And since Julius Caesar was the one rebuilding it, it got a lot of attention and a lot of everything it needed. So now that was like 44 B.C. So by this point um, in 50 A.D. is when Paul shows up. Okay, So for like 90 years, this city has been like, Rebuilding, rebuilding, and now it's flourishing. It's got all this stuff. Um, now, like like a lot of cities with a lot of money, um, uh, there is just all kinds of materialism. All anything you could want, you can find in Corinth. Um, but also uh, because there are lots of like seafaring uh, people, lots of guys on boats, lots of armies and stuff like that. There was just a lot of shadiness <laughs> that was going on. Um, anything you wanted. You, you could buy in Corinth. And uh, the ancient Greeks had, had coined this, uh, this phrase, and it's something really long in Greek, but it basically means uh, a, the, to live a Corinthian life um, would, would be a way of saying that person is about as immoral as you can be. And, and that's, I don't mean that in a judgmental way. It's just like, I mean, for the ancient Greeks to say, like, yeah, that dude's totally Corinthian, um, not, not real good. Uh, we, you know, we think about like Vegas, and we think about you know, Rio de Janeiro or like Mardi Gras and stuff like that. And this would just absolutely like make that look like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Like it would just not even compare. Um, it was, it was just anything you wanted, no rules, no whatever. Um, so that's the that's the the context for this little cute little Christian church to take root and it's surrounded by this. Um, so Paul, uh, Paul shows up. And um, he goes into Corinth, and it, of course, goes right to the synagogue, starts picking fights, right? Because that's Paul. And so he goes into the synagogue and pretty quickly gets kicked out. Right next door to the synagogue, there was a, a guy named uh, Titus J- Justice. And so um, Paul started meeting with, he formed this house church that met in this guy's house. It was literally right next door to the synagogue. So this, this church was formed. This was the first Christian church in southern Greece. It was about 50 A.D. Um, and so Paul stays for 18 months, a year and a half of ministry and discipleship and uh, building this church. And, and kind of what Paul did is he, would, he was all about training leaders and equipping them and getting them ready and then like letting them lead, trusting that, that God had called them to do that and that they had what, what they needed. And so uh, he spent 18 months investing in, in these people. Um, he had several leaders. Uh, Timothy and Silas came and joined him uh, from Macedonia, um, and uh, Apollos was sent in as well. And those are all maybe names you Bible names you've heard and stuff. And so he kind of had got to this point where, um, like, he had uh, all these just rock star leaders uh, there. And um, in the midst of all this stuff, whatever, after 18 months, he decided that he just felt like the Spirit was moving him to Ephesus, and that they were ready you know, to, like, sustain in this culture. And so here was this church that he had planted, lived there for a year and a half, invested in him. Now he had gone on to Ephesus. Now, uh, he goes to Ephesus, and the wheels start coming off. And the church starts having these problems. And, and the, the, the best way to, like, overview the problems of this church was that there was... Uh, the church culture, the Christian church culture, and the culture of the city they were around um, looked looked a lot alike. There wasn't um, enough distinction there. 
um, the practices of the people in the in the city and the community and the whole vibe. Uh, the church wasn't any different than any other group of people or any other religious organization or whatever. Uh, Corinth, they had like 12 temples to all these false gods and stuff, and there were all these religions and all these different people, and it was just one of those places where like, like people from all over the world kind of all landed there, and everything just kind of looked the same. And so here's, you know, Jesus' church is supposed to be there, you know, as a, as a star in the universe, right, holding out light, uh, salt of the earth, city on a hill, and it just it looked the same. So now Paul's in Ephesus, but he, he still remained like a father figure to him. And so he, he continued to, to lead the church, uh, by like writing letters, uh, he, you know, by visits, you know, which we'll talk about, um, and through his representatives. So he would, he had Timothy, um, he had, uh, Titus that he would, would send and he would send different people and stuff. And so, so he's further to the east in Ephesus, but he still has this authority over this church because he's the one that founded it and he's the one that Invested in them and stuff. Okay, so here's here's where here's where it gets interesting. Okay, so so we know what the culture looks like. We know that the church is not really you know, doing what they what they need to do. Um, they've been trained for a year and a half by Paul, Paul. Okay, and now he's over there in Ephesus. Well, he gets he gets word that things aren't going real well, and so he writes him a letter, sends it to him, and this letter was specifically about sexual immorality um, because that was one of just like just the most severe issues that they had in the city but especially within the church and there were there were just some things there so he writes a letter about that and sends it sends it to him and um, the letter was like completely misunderstood and caused a lot of confusion and kind of became a divisive issue within this church body um, now we don't know how many people are in this church uh, the city was like seventy or eighty thousand people, okay. But I would imagine the church was small, but apparently had grown, you know. So we really don't know. Um, so in your mind, get, make them however many you want. It's up to you. Uh, if God wanted us to know, He would have told us. So we get to like pretend. So in my mind, it's like a hundred people or hundred and fifty people. Two hundred people when LSU's in. Okay. So. Um, so he writes in this letter, and so uh, they get this letter, and it's just nobody really understands it and stuff. And so uh, there's somebody in the church uh, who's named Chloe. I don't know if that's a guy or a girl, but but some people from Chloe's household uh, had traveled to Ephesus, and so they told him in person, like, dude, something ain't right. Things aren't going well. And then the church gets together. They put a letter together to Paul, and they send it to Paul, and they're like, dude, things aren't going well. We need some clarity on this. And then there's a delegation of three people that traveled to Ephesus to talk to him. They're like, dude, things are not going well. So Paul is getting the, he's, he's understanding here. Okay. Um, obviously my letter was, didn't get the job done. So he sits down and he writes, uh, a more lengthy letter to address the things that he had heard, uh, from Chloe's family, the things in the letter that they had wanted him to clarify and things that the delegates, you know, had, had, had told him. And I'm sure just things that the spirit was putting on his heart too. So he sits down and writes this letter, and that is 1 Corinthians in our Bible. Okay, it's a response to what he's heard and what he knows, um, or whatever. So the reason why it's called 1 Corinthians in our Bible is because it's the first one in the Bible. Right? It's not the first one ever. It's just like in the Bible there's two. So the first one's the first one, the second one's the second one. Um, but actually there are four. So um, so Paul writes 1 Corinthians, and he sends it to him, And... Uh, He's like, okay, well, let me let me address these things. Now, let me tell you some of the things that he addressed. And the reason why I tell you this, all right, if we're going to study 2 Corinthians, we need to understand, uh, like I said, the church looked like the culture. There was not a lot of progress in their progressive sanctification. Okay? Um, we are, when we are saved, when we come into that saving knowledge of Jesus, um, our, our, there's an exchanged life there. Our lives are taken out and Christ's life is put in. Heart of stone taken out, heart of flesh put in. There's this newness that's there. And so the whole rest of our lives, um, we're basically, are, the outside of us is trying to catch up with the inside of us. That's how I like to think about it. New heart, 
that's transforming how we think, how we speak, how we act, and all that, and making us and forming Jesus in us. Um, and so that's be, supposed to be progressive sanctification. Like, we're supposed to be moving forward all the time. And so there just wasn't a lot of progress in their sanctification at all. And so here's some of the things that he addresses in 1 Corinthians that tell us the intense level of drama that exists within this church. One thing, there were just divisions all over the place. They were incredibly divided. And they couldn't have been a very big church, so let's assume they were this big right here. Um, to have tons of division in a group this big, oh, that's, that's really messed up. Especially when Paul... Uh, you know if he was there for a year and a half, unity and oneness and oneness in Christ are going to be what he's teaching. And so they were all divided. Um, they were divided in their loyalties. Some were really loyal to Paul. Some were really loyal to Apollos. And some were really, really loyal to this other guy named Cephas. And some people were really loyal to Jesus. Guess who was right? So Paul tells them, hey, uh, like if you're loyal to Jesus, you're right. If you're loyal to me, you're not right. And so there's all this division about who was gonna, who was gonna be in charge. Um, there were these power struggles. So Paul's gone. You start to have these like these people in the church rise up and say like, "Well, I don't think Paul's that great anyway." I mean, he was always like wanting to pray and suffer, you know. And they got really critical of Paul's ministry, and, and this started to come out even more. Like, you know what? I mean. That guy, he has way, way too many struggles. You know, way, like way too much suffering. He gets arrested way too much. And he gets like, you know, thrown in prison and beaten way too much. And he just has too many bad things happen to him for him to really be an apostle of Jesus. Like if he was an apostle, he would have a much more blessed life, wouldn't he? More like, more like, more like me, actually. And so these leaders began to rise up in the church and they were speaking against Paul and they were trying to kind of like uh, become powerful within this, this church. That never happened today, right? It never happens in a church. It I mean, happened in our church, hopefully. I think a lot of us have probably been around churches where there was... I mean, the, the staff was completely neutered. I mean, they had no authority, no whatever, you know. You had, you know, board of trustees and or the deacons or all these different whatever, and you had, like, your powerful people, and church kind of becomes this, like, uh, weird, competitive, I don't know, really lame, like, hobby, you know, for people or whatever. And so it's interesting to me, in any way, that, like, the divisions that happen today, I mean, it's not new at all. There are all these fraction points within there. Within there, um, they were super diverse. Uh, you always hear people say like, "Oh, our churches need to have like, you know, um, all races and uh, all languages and all nationalities and you know all this stuff." And, and I'm all all for that. Believe me. Um, and in, in their situation, they had that, but it got twisted into this like really weird us and them kind of deal. Like they were very much like segregated by that. Um, there was, uh, you had people who were super rich and people who were super poor. And while that should be like a really, that should be a really good thing, that re regardless of what, what you make, you feel at home here, that became a dividing point for them. It was very like us and them, us and them, us and them. And we see that stuff today in a lot of churches too. Um, they were, uh, there were a lot of morality issues. Um, let's just, let's just say this. You know, I said like, Money could buy anything in Corinth. Um, the Christians fell into those same patterns. And the, the sexual immorality that existed within members of the church, uh, one, it was, it was happening. Two, the people in the church, like, were more accepting about, about it than even people outside the church, you know? Things that even people outside the church would be like, all right, that's weird. People inside the church would be like, oh, I mean, I don't know. For whatever reason, I don't know if it was like, they're like, well, we should be gracious and forgiving, or if they just didn't want to confront them and they just looked the other way. But, but sin, especially sexual sin, was rampant among everybody in the city and among the Christians. And within the church, it was never addressed. There was never any sort, there wasn't accountability. There wasn't discipline. There wasn't any sort of confrontational whatever. And so 
Uh, all this stuff was going on, and of, of course it divided everybody, but nobody was willing to talk about it. And we probably all have seen churches like that too, where like, you don't talk about sin, you don't address sin. Church discipline? No. What's that? You know, like there's just, like we don't want to do that. We just kind of want to all be gracious and happy, or we want to all kind of put on a front to where we don't really let people know that we're struggling with things or whatever. And so in his letter, Paul is like, uh, Okay, he has this one example. He's like, this goes on and nobody says anything. He, he equates it with grief. He said, this should grieve you. Your heart should break over this. But yet you just look the other way. That's drama. You got leaders fighting for power. You have sin being unaddressed and just going on and nobody really seems to care. You have relational issues. You'd have... You have people within the church, whenever there would be disagreements or whatever, they would sue each other. They would literally take each other to the court instead of like having like like biblical like conflict resolution or like having conversations with each other about things or you know whatever. There was no like bringing in a mediator. There was no like no no. no. It was I'm going to sue you. So you want to create some division within a church? Let one family sue another family. See what happens. Bad. Bad, bad, bad. They had this issue they addressed uh, about meat being sacrificed to idols. Um, you know, you had one group who was like, um, you know, or so you have all these temples everywhere, and they would, they would take meat, and they would kill these animals, and they would, you know, dedicate it to, you know, Aphrodite or one of these gods, you know, and, so some people would look at that meat and they would say, uh, we do not need to eat that as Christians because it has been sacrificed to an idol. It is some, it's is been a part of an evil practice or whatever. And then you had other people who were like, okay, that's, a, that's an idol and it's completely false. And there's nothing, it's not real. So there's nothing wrong with that meat because it's been sacrificed to something that's false. It's stupid. So let's eat it. It's cheap, you know. And so you had this conflict there. You had one group saying, you should not eat that meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. Another group saying, like, it doesn't really matter because idols are false. And so you had division there over this silly issue. And so Paul is like, okay, true that idols are false and they don't really mean anything. However, you have got to be considerate of the people that you're in community with. And if you're in community with somebody who has an issue with that, their heart, their mind, their conscience should uh, should take precedence over like what you think about that particular issue. And so, what he was really doing was he wasn't like at all drawing, like making a rule. He wasn't going to say like, "Yes, you can eat that meat," or "No, you should not meet, you should not eat that meat." What he was basically saying was, um, "You need to be there needs to be more involved in your thought process than can I or can I not." He said, you know, everything is permissible. Okay, you have permission to do that. But his deal is like, but is it beneficial? So you need to think about others. You need to think about the big picture. You need to consider more instead of just abiding by some rule. And so we, of course, see that same thing. There's all kinds of issues about can Christians do this, you know, yes or no. And my answer is usually like, well, it's, it's not a yes or no issue. There's just more to it than that. So they had that same issues, dividing them all. Um, they had questions about order and worship, sign gifts. Okay, they were like, "What's the speaking in tongues deal all about?" Like, "Hey, how should the Lord's Supper go down?" We're not really, we were kind of confused about this. Hey, we're in worship service and somebody screams out something over here and it distracts everybody. What, what should we do about that? And they had all this dis, like disorder because you had all these different leaders and all these whatevers. They didn't understand the doctrine of the. Uh, they didn't understand like the resurrection of Jesus. Questions about that? Questions about Jesus coming back? Okay, now, so why do I go through all that stuff? Okay, that's a super broad look at 1 Corinthians. Those are the issues that existed within this church. Very, very normal issues, right? Very normal when you take a group of people who have been born into sin, they are redeemed, forgiven, new but now they're trying to like progressively be sanctified and learn how to live in community together and try to learn what's true and what's false and what lies they believe 
their whole life and all this kind of stuff. So as you're going along, like these things are going to come up. You're going to have the can Christians drink or not discussion at some point. It needs to be discussed. It needs That dialogue needs to happen. There needs to be dialogue about spiritual gifts and what they are and what they are not. And what about speaking in tongues? And what about this? And, and what about the Lord's Supper? And how does that fit into things? What about leadership? How should the church be organized and put together? And all these things are they're perfectly normal and fine. Here's the difference. Um, in this church, everything had gone, it had been undiscipled, unprayed through. Um, they didn't really have, you know, like the Bible to compare it to, so we can't really judge them too much. Um, that, they had the Old Testament stuff, but uh, they didn't have what we have. Um, and so when all these things come up, and if there if there is no just wisdom and leadership of the Spirit and all this kind of stuff, it becomes, all these different things begin just to divide. And what happens a lot of times is once things start to be divide, immaturity skyrockets. And, that, and then this, the divisions just keep going and keep going and keep going. So Paul, um, you know, he sends these representatives and like, they don't want to listen to him because there's all these factions that have risen up. He, uh, he, he writes them a letter and all a letter does is just cause all this confusion. Okay? Well, that should tell us something right there, that if Paul writes a letter... And he's like, hey, sexual immorality is bad. You should flee from it. And that causes confusion? <laughs> what? What does he mean? Uh, I hate Paul. You know, like it just, so that shows you there's just, this church is a mess. If this church had a pastor, he would have his resume all over Greece. And no one would want to come here to pastor this church. So that's why I say it's weird to me when Paul's like, grace and peace to you. So I'd be like, hey, dummies. Hey, brats. <laughs> Wake up. Not Paul. He's like, grace peace to you. So here's this dysfunctional church. Writes them, a, writes them this letter. 1 Corinthians. And as good as that letter is, it doesn't work. It's incredible. It doesn't work. Things still, still are weird. So Paul goes to him, he goes himself. He's like, alright, I'm just going to go. So he shows up in Corinth. And he tries to give some leadership to things, kind of pull things back together. And he's rejected by the church. Not sure exactly how it went down. But apparently there was especially this one leader who had this faction against him. And basically they embarrassed him. And they rejected him. This is the founder of the church. This is Paul. And so Paul humbled himself and he just left. And uh, so he gets back to Ephesus and he writes him a third letter. And this is this is called the the painful letter, and we don't know where that one is either. He sends the painful letter, probably just describing, I mean, how terrible that visit was, and how much his heart breaks for them. So he sends that letter and he sends uh, Titus with him with the letter, gives him the letter, sends him back to Corinth, and says, look, I want you to bring this to him. I trust you. Let's restore some order to this church. And uh, he says, I'll, I'll meet you. I'll meet you on your way. I'll meet you in Troas. So uh, Paul leaves, goes to Troas, and Titus never shows up. So Paul begins to... Uh, to travel the path that Titus would be traveling back, you know, and says, I'll just meet him on the road. And somewhere on that, along that journey, he started writing 2 Corinthians, which would be the fourth letter. So the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians, um, he's writing, and this is the history that they've had. He founded the church, he leaves, the wheels come off, all these factions rise up against him, and it's, there's so much that's about Paul. It's, you're not, you're not an apostle, you're not really a leader, you're not who you said you were. So he's written two letters since then, had a terrible experience in person. 
And he starts off that letter, it says, grace and peace to you. Now, when I, when I look at it that way, I'm just like, how in the world? Because by that, I mean, I, I could not have started that letter that way. And he, and he wrote, it, wrote it on a scroll, so it's all rolled up, you know, and so he's writing and writing and writing. So the first, like, seven chapters, um, he hasn't heard from Titus yet. And then they meet up, and Titus has really good news. So the tone changes halfway through 2 Corinthians. And the good news was that the painful letter had, had kind of gotten their attention. And there was repentance, and there was submission. And things were significantly better in that church, finally. So Paul keeps writing because he, he still needs to address, uh, he was collecting money for um, Christians in Jerusalem who uh, were a part of this uh, famine. And uh, so he's collecting money for them. And he still needed to address like the criticism of his ministry and stuff. So he finishes the, finishes the letter, and he's basically prepping them for his next visit to come in. So that's where 2 Corinthians fits into everything. Um, okay, so why, why would I go through all that? Here's why. One, I want us to understand the context of the letter and to recognize that especially the first part because I don't really know how far through we're going to get before we get to Advent stuff but the first part all all he is aware of is what has happened he hasn't received the good report from Titus yet that that things are working out everything is just bad, bad, bad tons of drama tons of whatever so one, I want us to understand the context as we go into the next several weeks two, I want you to understand that church drama is nothing new now I'm not. I, I, we are incredibly blessed that that I mean, like we have drama, but it's not on that scale. <laughs> and our like our like the things that I experience as pastor that are on the good side far outweigh the drama on the other side. Um, so I'm not not at all preaching this because we have drama that we need to address. But I want us to understand that things are going to happen among us. We're going to have issues pop up. And when immaturity skyrockets, there's no discipleship, there's no prayer and study of the Word and application of the Word. We don't let Jesus guide us through these things. It will cause division among us. As much as some of you love our church and what's going on here, um, we have an enemy who hates it and wants, wants to split us up and put us against each other and all this kind of stuff. And we will fight it. We will always fight it. We will not look the other way with sin. We will pursue church discipline if if the Lord leads us to do that. We will fight together. That's what the church in Corinth wasn't doing. They were, there was no togetherness. They just let all these stupid things divide them. And we will we'll do all that we can and trust God in the process. But the, the bigger reason for tonight that I want us to, to do all that is to be able to really understand Paul how can he say grace and peace to you? How can he open that last letter? Why was he not just flying off the handle? Why had he not thrown in the towel? Why didn't it start? Hey, dummies. Hey, brats. Uh, you know, why didn't he just immediately leap into all this stuff? Because I think most of us, we would have hit our, we would have given up. Because we tend to give up with our friends a lot faster, don't we? We tend to give up. We don't tend to like really like long suffering. Bearing patiently with each other is not really something we like to do, you know. It's like, look, uh, you're not really changing, you're not really doing whatever, um, you're not really with the program, and so I'm kind of going to kind of write you off. And so what I want us to do is to have Paul's, the way Paul looked at the church in Corinth, I want us to look, us to look at each other that way. So the, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at how he opens. This is this is how Paul had. I mean, this was his perspective on this church, and this is why it was so amazing. First Corinthians chapter one. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother 
Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Here goes, first thing, called to be saints together. With all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard C.J. Mahaney preach on this passage, and he pointed out, he said, you know what, he said, said Paul had Paul looked at these believers, and he was, he said, they're called just as much as I am. That God initiated something in their lives just like He did in mine. There's no difference just because I'm the I'm the church planter. I'm the I'm the I'm the founding apostle of this church because I'm the Almighty Paul. So He didn't look at him that way. First verse says Paul called by the will of God. Okay, he's like I'm called. Verse two to the church of God that's in Corinth, the sanctifying Christ Jesus called to be saints together. Our calling our callings are. Our roles may be different, but our callings are the same. See, for us to be able to look at one another always and say, hey, you, me, same boat, same Jesus. Both sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus' blood covers you, Jesus' blood covers me. See, Paul saw the church in Corinth the way that God saw him. And for us, if we want to bear patiently with each other, for there to be long-suffering in our church, for the, the the things that can easily divide us to just be completely ineffective, one thing we have to do is we have to look at each other and see the equality in Christ that's there. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, in like three verses, he just affirms the heck out of me. And he's like, I see the grace of God in your completely messed up lives. And he knows that the messed out lives part. You look at this church that's like dysfunctional to the core. Making all these bad decisions and all this division and all this strife and all this whatever and all the things that we all hate to see churches go through. And he looks at them and he's like, grace, 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 grace. Evidence of grace. God's handiwork. He is all over you. I've seen it. I've heard about it. Every gift. Everything that you need. All speech. All knowledge. I, I see him at work among you. That's a game changer for us. And it's weird, too, because it's not like you're ever really at a point where you're going to go up to someone and be like, hey, could you just tell me real quick uh, how the ways you see uh, evidence of grace in me real quick? Could you just affirm me for a few minutes? I just need to be affirmed. You're not going to do that. It's weird. Which is why we should be doing that for one another. Like, you really shouldn't wonder. In a healthy community, you would never really wonder, like, man, I wonder if, if there's any evidence of grace in my life. Because the people in your community are encouraging and affirming, and they're praying for you, and, I mean, all those things that we talk about all the time. So Paul looked at them, and he saw evidence of grace. Before he saw dysfunction, before he saw all the problems, before he saw all the shortcomings and all the things that, whatever... That's got to be us. Like we've got to, we've got to be at that point. When people are like, "Hey, tell me," I, hear, I know you on Tuesday. You go to this community group thing. What's what are they like? And your first thing are like, "Oh man, they're awful," and not like, "Oh, we got this one dude every week. His prayer requests are like 15 minutes long." Man. Verse 7, So you're not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
I love that verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end. He looked at this church and he said, God started something in y'all and I see evidence of grace all over it. And because God is a finisher, He will sustain you all the way to the end. He looked at this church and said, there is not a lost cause in existence here. This is God's church. He started it and He's going to finish it. And however I can join Him in that process, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter how many letters I have to write. It doesn't matter how many visits I have to make. God will sustain them to the end. And I want to be a part of that. And i got to admit, that's, that's, a, that's so challenging to me. Not as a pastor, just as a, as a brother in Christ. That is challenging to me. And over the years, I feel like God has put us as a church in different situations where He's like, I know you don't know what to do, but I do. And I will not leave you hanging. You just keep praying. You just keep asking. Because I started something, and I'm all over the situation, and I'm going to finish it. And I will sustain you to the very, 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 very end. And it's a challenge, because sometimes we face things. I face things as a person. face things as a pastor. face, face things as a part of this community, as a brother in Christ, where I'm like, man, I need to go read 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9 right now. I need to pray this over the people in this situation. I need this to be prayed over me. I need to sit in this truth and recognize this is true, just true about me as it is for everybody else. That's how Paul starts off that letter before he got the good news from Titus. Grace and peace. Because he looked at him the way God looked at him. Awesome so challenging to me. As we get into this letter, that's the context. So here's here's how I'd like us to end tonight. This is going to be super different, so uh, just roll with me. Uh, I feel like uh, I've always felt that the church should be a praying church, both when we're away from each other and we're together, but very few times have I seen that done really well, uh, in, just in a corporate setting. I'm not really sure how. So... Um, Where's Phil? Phil Zito. Would you just get on the keyboard and uh, would you play that old hymn, uh, The Old Ship of Zion? Just play something. The reason why I want Phil to play is because for some reason, like when, when you're praying, if it's like silent in the room, you know, then like cell phones are going to go off and somebody's going to drop a pen and the person next to you is breathing really heavy and, you know, whatever. Uh, it just gets a little distracting. So I'm not trying to set a mood as much as I am trying to give you something to distract you that's soothing <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so here's what I, what I want us to do. Um, we're just going to pray about three things. It's not going to be long. Um, but I, ho- I hope that it is sincere. If you're not a part of this church, I would like for you to either pray this for your church or pray this for the church or pray this for our church because we would love your prayers. Um, there's going to be three different things we're going to do. And the first one, I want you to intentionally be seated. Um, so if you would, if you have like a prayer posture, if you're like a lean forward prayer or uh, you need to sit up straight or whatever, but I want you to just remain seated if you can. Um, I want us to pray those things in, in reverse. Uh, go ahead. Um, I want you to pray these things in reverse. The, the last one being about the, the faithfulness of God to sustain to the end. I want you to pray that, that we would... That God would help us to trust that reality. That here's a room and everybody is seated. Everybody is on level ground. We would trust in His faithfulness for our church. Just begin to pray that. And I'll pray here in just a second.
thank you that you're a God who finishes what you start. That you will literally sustain us to the very end. Whatever is ahead, you go before us and you order our steps. You're with us always till the very end. You never leave us or forsake us. When we pass through the waters, you will be with us. The waves will not overcome us. Because we are yours. Father, help us as a church to trust you in all things. To trust that as individuals and corporately as a church, you are the sustaining force, power in our lives. Thank you for your goodness. That is given richly out of your abundance to all of us without exception. We love you, Father. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's let's stand together. I want us to pray this now. Uh, this, I mean, certainly is uh, my cheesiness tends to come out in these times, but I was thinking like where everybody seated, everybody was level, you know. Now that we stand, everybody's there's like differences everywhere. And I was just thinking about the different evidences of grace that's in that just exists in every life that's here, um, like the different heights that exist. And just really desiring that that would be something that we see. That when we when we think about one another, that's where we go first. Not personality and not uh, tendencies and not not good things like oh he's so funny or. She's so smart. I mean, good things or the bad things. At first, we'd be like, man, God has done such such a work in his life and her life. So, just spend a minute and just pray that God would help us to see that when we see each other. That that, that would be um, the first thing that comes to mind. Because that's what points to him. Just begin to pray that. I'll pray it for us in just a second. Thank you for the the diversity that's here. Now, really, I mean, there's really nothing that matters. It doesn't matter where we're from or how we talk or how much money we make or what we drive or if we drive. None of that is important. What's important is the way that you glorify yourself in each of our lives, and our lives, lives pressed together as your church. So, Father, we need your help to begin to see each other the way you see us, to see Jesus first, to see evidences of grace and power at work among us. Father, we, we need you in order to, to get that perspective and keep that perspective, because you know how much our flesh just rears up you know how much we have an enemy that wants to fracture us and divide us and pin us against each other. So, Father, we're counting on you as we just ask from sincere and humble hearts that you would help us to see one another the way that you see us. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the last thing I'd like us to do uh, is really is the, the first thing in that passage that CJ pointed out. Just that God has initiated something in all of our lives individually and He's pushed us together as a church and He's initiated something in this church that the call on us is, it's a call of one. Um, 
that we would walk through that together, that we would continue to try to figure out what that looks like, what that means. We talk about the Corinthian church and how they ignored sin and there's all these power struggles and all this stupid stuff. And we look at it and we're like, oh, it's so dumb. But yet, we just want to walk through those things as they come up together. The fact that he initiated something in your life as an individual is phenomenal. The fact that he's pressed all these lives together and said, the Ring Community Church is my idea. I began this. Don't forget that. You're in this together. Um, so here's what I'd like us to do. Uh, never done this at the Ring. I want us to hold hands. Um, it'll be okay. It won't be for long. It's not cold and flu season. Uh, so you have nothing to worry about. Uh, but I would just like you just to hold hands. You can go across the row if you want to. I mean, that'll be, that'll be cool. But um, let, me, let me just lead this prayer for us. Father, I, I thank you for what is uh, symbolized when we are joined like this. I thank you for just the just the unity that is just I mean it's it's we're literally unified with each other when this happens. God, I pray that that you would give us a perspective on on one another where we see as we are called to walk through this life together. That we live missionally together as a church. And that you started this church, not not the elders, not Parkview in 1998 or 2006 or whenever, whatever date you want to choose. It wasn't Jim Wallace's idea. It wasn't my idea. It's completely yours. And our desire is just to be faithful all the way to the end. So God, help us continue to learn how to walk together through life. I pray that us holding hands together will simply be us putting something tangible with the way that we feel in our hearts and our minds. I just pray, God, that that the enemy will just be bound and completely ineffective in trying to split this up. God, for all these things that we pray and the way we view each other, I pray this this wouldn't just be a prayer time. God, this would really, again, just be a game changer in so many ways. As we study 2 Corinthians together, God, I just pray that you would use it to keep changing us. Thank you for um, tonight, Father, your faithfulness to us. Uh, We love you so much and pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all so much.